What a beautiful, what a beautiful song to remind us. Like even if you're feeling cold, even if you're not feeling warm, I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you. My soul rejoice. Sometimes you got to tell your soul what to do, right? Take joy, my king, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound. I love the idea of God being the happiest person in this room. That he would hear our songs and hear our worship and see our hearts and experience great delight in our delighting in him. It's a beautiful, beautiful reminder. So we're on our third uh, and I'm glad that you're still here. Um, and tonight we're going to talk about suffering, which is, I know, the most exciting subject you like to talk about. Um, I love that picture. That's my uh, oldest daughter. And that was when she, what was the name of the thing? Commission. A commission. That's the one. Yeah. No, that's cool. That's <laughs> fine. It's okay. Get to work, pastor. We're, you know, <laughs> cracking the whip. I understand. It's like, don't talk about your family here. (laughs) Do that on your own time. (laughs) And Gracie, no, I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. All right, yeah. No, that's great. Uh, Yeah, so we're going to talk about suffering. And um, we're going to seek the face of the Lord. I have more things for you to fill out. So I'm going to give... What I think you'll find is that if you write it down, I know it's a lot of work, and no, it's not really, but um, you might not want to do it. And if you don't, it's cool. It's all in your bulletin. But um, I do, I think there's value in just writing down and being engaged and all that. Um, So I know we've been singing and praying. I'm going to pray with us again and ask the Lord to help us um, deepen in this. Deepen in Jesus, really. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity again to be able to be together, to be able to share um, this time. What a precious thing it is. And so, Lord, I really, really, I do, I do want to see you as the happiest person in this room, delighting. Father, remind us, remind us that you're here and that your love goes out first. And that your favor goes out first. That your mercy goes out first. And I pray that our response to that would be just surrender. Even as we've just sung. To be surrendered to you. Obedient to you. So Lord, would you um, touch those deep areas of our hearts where we've been hurt, where suffering has gone on, where pain has been inflicted, and would you help us? Would you help us to bring it to you? And Lord, would you not... Would you help us not to stop there, but would you help us to be a community that not only brings it to you, but brings it to each other, that we would become a safe church to bear our suffering, that we would be able to share it with one another, and that we would be able to weep with each other and rejoice with each other and be vulnerable and transparent with each other. 
And for many of us, Lord, that's too great a chasm to jump. So, Lord, would you jump it for us? Remind us of all you did in order to be intimate with us. And help us to be moved by that. And respond to each other in the same way. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was going over my notes today. I'm going to make a confession before we get into this sermon. I was going over my notes, and sometimes when I share parts of my story, like my life story and walking in Christ, I have a sense in my, um, in our church, the Recovery House of Worship, which we're actually going to change our name in Easter, we're not going to be the Recovery House of Worship anymore. We're going to be the Next Step Community Church. And so in in that church, I share my story, and it's a different um, feel sometimes. Like, I wonder sometimes if I, when I share my story, some of you will go, well, gee, gee whiz, that's so extreme. And I've never had anything like that happen to me. So, like, there's a distance between us. Like, um, like I'm... Like, what God has done in my life is so supernatural, and yours is like a normal life and stuff like that. It, it, you know, it had to be supernatural for a crazy guy like me to come to Jesus, right? Like, God would have had to move heaven and earth, and he did. Um, but I love, um, I love testimonies. I just recently heard a testimony that was just like, yeah, you know, uh, my parents, you know, brought me up in the church, and I never saw any reason to leave, and... Um, in high school, I stuck with the youth group and then gave my heart to Christ when I realized that I desperately needed his forgiveness. And that's my testimony. And I got baptized and have been with the church ever since. Those are my favorite testimonies. Like, you know, the whole, I robbed the bank and then became a witch doctor. And then, you know, uh, did like, you know, copious amounts of heroin. And then, you know, like those stories can seem real dramatic and all that other stuff. But I say that to say, is that if you're here, we're all, we all suffer. We all go through pain. And I don't want you to necessarily compare or, um, or do anything like that, but I want you to identify with the pain. You know what it's like to be lonely. You know what it's like to be hurt. You know what it's like to put trust in people who are supposed to protect you and be hurt by them and wounded. And so we all know what it's like to suffer. So, here with those ears. So, um... When I was about four, about four or five years old, um, my mother, who uh, was, is, was, she passed away a few months ago, um, my mother, who was uh, a paranoid schizophrenic, uh, and my father was an alcoholic, and my mother at this point was just not, in my four or five-year-old mind, I don't know any of the backstory that I'm about to tell you now. My mother was just starting to show, or not just starting, the the... She was starting to demonstrate um, symptoms of being a paranoid schizophrenic. And so this is like 70s. This is happening in the 70s. So there's not a whole lot of talk about mental health. There's not a whole lot of help. And especially if you're in a Puerto Rican community like we were, and you were real poor, and you didn't know that language, help was not readily available. So they brought me to my aunt's house. And my father, I remember this, my father said, Edwin, go into the room. We went to the project. This is how poor we were. We went to the projects. Uh, my aunt lived in the projects, and I thought that she was rich because uh, the rooms, you know how, like, have you ever been to the projects, anybody? 
Raise your hand if you've ever been to the projects. <laughs> okay, we like three of you. Okay, great. Let me explain it for the rest of you. So in the PJs, the, the apartments are much nicer than, say, like railroad apartments. They, um, you'd be shocked. It's like really nice. And they have private bedrooms that turn off uh, like that. And so I thought she was rich because they had private bedrooms with doors on them. And I was like, wow, this place is so nice. And so I went into the room, and my father told me, go into the room and find, I, I, bought, I got a truck for you. Get the truck. So I go into the room, and I looked for the truck, and 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 I couldn't find it. Then I came back out, and they were gone. I mean, like, they didn't just leave, like, to give my mom a break for a night. They didn't come back for like a fourth of my life at that point. Like they stayed away. And I couldn't wrap my mind around why they did that. So I had to invent stories, which is what most of us do when we go through mo moments that we don't, that's so painful that we don't understand. And so I started to invent this story in my mind of why they would do that. And it all had to do with, oh, I'm a bad boy. And they don't love me. Nobody can love me. See, that was the, it was a narrative that was born out of, because I had to make sense of my environment. All of us, when we go through suffering, have to answer questions that essentially we can't, we have to invent for ourselves. We can't figure out why we're going through what we're going through. And if you're like me, when you suffer, you have to come up with reasons why God is allowing the suffering to happen in your life. And sometimes the answers that we come up with aren't helpful, unbiblical, and only cause us to have more alienation from the God that loves us. So today we're going to talk about suffering. You have things in your life that if you came up here and shared them on this microphone, we would all cry. And there are moments in all of our lives where we're just like, God, are you on the job here? Are you, are you paying attention? Do you see my heartache? God is like, yeah. Yeah, I do. So this is another one of those subjects that I could almost like open up anywhere in the Bible and kind of just like, you know, put my finger down and, and talk about. But today we're going to look at Romans 8, 16 to, through 28. Romans 8, please, if you're the type, memor if you're not the type, make it just by this time next year, have Romans 8 memorized. I'm telling you. It's a fantastic, like, just start memorizing. It's, a, it's a, like a really helpful thing to start memorizing chapters in the Bible. Um, I don't have, like, many chapters in the Bible, but this is one of them that I do have. I have a few uh, memorized. And this has been, like, super helpful to me. It's, but Romans 8 is uh, sort of like uh, uh, resources that you have for living in Christ. And so I know that this particular section is not necessarily used much for suffering, but I think that there are some resources here that, um, that I think that we need when we suffer. 
And so I'll read it to you, Romans 8, 16 through 28. The scriptures say, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present suffering is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glory, brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit himself helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God, for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So again, we're talking about suffering. And so I want you to write this down. This is the first point for today. Actually, before you get to the first point, the big idea for today is this. When we suffer, we run to the Savior. That when suffering happens, suffering is not a reason, an excuse. Suffering is not permission to run from God, but run to God. That suffering is not something that we should use to divorce ourselves from the only one who could possibly make sense of it all. When we suffer, we run to the Savior. Here's how we do that. How, in the midst of our suffering, we run to the only one who can make sense of it all. First, is that we pray to our heavenly Abba. We pray to our heavenly Abba. Uh, The reason I put heavenly Abba, I'll make it clear, but you'll see it in verse 14 through 17. It's not in your text, although it should be, actually might be in your handouts. Um, It says there, um, uh, uh, verses 14 through 17 of the same chapter, so it's just before this. And it says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God, right? And it says that we cry out, um, Abba, Father, right? So we haven't been given the spirit of fear, but we've been given the spirit of um, sonship. And by him we cry out, Abba, Father. We need, when we suffer, we need to be reminded that our God is our heavenly Abba. The reason I put Abba and not Father is because some of us might, we might have problems with, our, with the word Father, right? We might have hang-ups uh, with the word 
Father. In fact, it's, it's really interesting. In fact, I want you to write this down. The heavenly Abba is not a bigger version of your earthly father. Does this make sense? The heavenly Abba is not a bigger version of your earthly father. So, boy, you see this. If you do any type of counseling at all, you see this over and over again. How, how a person has related to their father really does affect how they relate to God. Right? So, if your father was unpleasable, then so is God. And welcome to the club of being a perfectionist. And so you just try hard to do better. God will receive me one day. God will appreciate me one day. God will be pleased one day. And you try harder and you do better and you work harder. And it's never enough. The Heavenly Father is not a bigger version of your earthly father. If your father was absentee, then, of course, that's the way. If your father was abusive or, or, or hit you every, you know, like was... If your father was like one of those guys who, um, who would hit you for no reason, like you were like, what was that about? And it was like, that, there was no reason for that. It was like, you know, then you're always waiting for the heavenly father to just, you know, for the other shoe to drop. For the... But your heavenly father is not a bigger version of your earthly father. B, the heavenly Abba is a perfect version of your earthly father. Here's what I mean by that. If, if every time your father interacted with you, you felt loved. If every decision that your father ever made on your behalf was filled with wisdom and a, a complete understanding of who you are and how he made you. If your heavenly father, every time he reprimanded you, you left knowing that you were loved, even though what you had done was wrong. Then your, I mean, if your earthly father did all those things, then your earthly father would be a lot closer to your heavenly father than your present heavenly father. You see, our heavenly Abba is not a bigger version of our earthly father, and the heavenly Abba is a perfect version of our earthly father. But there's another category that we see God in, not just as um, sort of an extension of the way our father was here on earth. We see God that way. By the way, that's, that's not a bad question to ask in your small groups. How has your earthly father influenced the way you see your heavenly father? That might be something that is worth discussing. Maybe your, all your fathers were perfect. But my kid is here, and she wouldn't be able to answer that in that way. Another thing that you need to watch out, and this is important because we're, suffer- we're talking about suffering, and we're talking about praying to our Heavenly Father. So you can come to the Heavenly Father as one who's longing, looking forward to, can't wait to hear your groans and heartaches, your tears, and sometimes your screams, and, and doubts, and questions. He's anxious. He's looking forward to hearing you. We come to God. We pray to him as our heavenly father. Not like our earthly father. And here, there is no space for this, and there's no slide for this, but you should probably write this down. Uh, our heavenly father is not our boss. 
Here's what I mean by that. Many times when we um, interact with God, we interact with him like he's our boss. Do you know what I mean by that? Here's what I mean. When you work, when you go to work, and if you're too young or you don't have a job yet and all that other stuff, you all look like teenagers to me. But, um, that's, yeah, I know. I, I, I always, I go to churches sometimes and preach, and I go, oh, this is terrible. My son would be <laughs> old in this, ca- in this camp. And I'm like, wow, I'm getting very old. But um, when we pray to our Heavenly uh, Abba, we don't, we don't respond to him like he's our boss. What, what do you, how do you respond to your boss? It's very simple. You provide a service for your boss. As you provide the service for your boss, at the end of the week or the end of the month or the end of the you know, second, you know, bi- bi-monthly, you expect recompense. You expect payment. You expect something from your earthly boss. And if he doesn't deliver that payment, then it's foul play. There's something wrong. Wait, hold up. I provided the service. I did my part. I did what I was supposed to do. What's up with this? I'm supposed to get paid. See, this is how sometimes we view God. We come to God and we go, I've been a good Christian. I saved myself all the way up to marriage. Why is this marriage like a living hell if I did everything right? It's like, oh, right, because God is my boss. And I did what he asked me to do. And he is not. Matter of fact, if any of you have ever left the faith and now have recently come back or at any point left it, it, it's probably because of this. Because God did not, you see, your relationship with God is like a barter system. Your relationship with God is like with one with a boss. Your relationship is, I will do whatever you want me to do. I will do exactly, but I have expectations on you. And here's what I need. In our church, here's what happens. People will come to uh, the church, uh, a marriage, let's say. And they'll come to the church and they'll say, God, please fix this marriage. Like their marriage is hanging on by a thread, like barely a thread. And they'll go, God, please fix this marriage. And they'll wait two weeks, two months, two years, like whatever the thing is. And then the marriage doesn't work out. And they stop coming. And I find them in the grocery store. Or I find them on the street somewhere. Or I, I meet them somewhere. And I go, man, I've missed you like crazy. What happened? And go, man, God didn't. And they don't say these words. But it's like, man, God didn't pay me. God was a deadbeat boss. I started to go to church. God was supposed to give me a, uh, restore my marriage. And it didn't happen. Or they're single. And, and they come to church and go, God, please, I don't want to be single anymore. I want to be married. I don't want to be a bridesmaid. I want to be the bride, like, you know, that whole deal. And then you come to church and it's like, oh my gosh, this is beautiful. This is wonderful. God, where is that person that I've been looking for? God, where's that woman that I've been looking for? God, where's that man that I've been looking for? And, and it doesn't happen. And you leave. You're like, God, if... If you don't even give minimum wage, how can I stay? 
But you see, when you and I suffer, it makes us think that God owes us something. It makes us think that God has to give us something because we provided a service and God needs to pay up. God's not your boss. And God's not your earthly father. We come to God in our suffering, in our disappointments, in our heartaches. I'm talking about when your tears don't stop coming and your heart doesn't stop breaking, when your soul is confused and you feel utterly in pain and you're suffering in ways that you never thought possible. In those moments, we go and pray to our heavenly Abba because he's open and he's waiting and he's eager to receive you not like a boss not like your earthly dad but like a heavenly Abba so first thing we pray to our heaven when we suffer we pray to our heavenly Abba the second thing is we trust in God our king. Here's another resource that we have when we suffer. It, this is how we're going to run to the Savior. When we suffer, let's say that together. Can we say that together? Because this is the big idea and I want you to catch it, okay? We're going to say it together. We're going to do, do it three times. It's going to be fun. All right, let's do it together. That We're going to say, when we suffer, we run to the Savior, okay? Let's do it one time. When we suffer, we run to the Savior, Let's say it again because it felt good. When we suffer, we run to the Savior. Excellent. Let's do it again. When we suffer, we run to the Savior. Now, watch this. First thing we do when we suffer, how do we run to the Savior? We what? We pray to our heavenly Abba. Here's the second one. We trust in God, our King. That's the second resource this text gives us. I honestly... I was tempted to just make this verse the verse that we focused on today because there's so much here. It's verse, like everybody's memorized this verse, right? You know this verse. If you, it's, like, it's like John 3.16, Psalm 23, and then like this verse, right? Like this is like one of the most popular verses in Christendom. And so we trust in God our Savior. Here's what the text says. Romans 8.28 says this, and we know, like know like experience, not know like, intellectually uh, ascend to, know like we experience. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love, who are called according to his purpose. Here's three things you can know about that one verse, or at least three. I mean, there's so much more, but here's three. First, in A, anything can happen to you. Part of the problem when we suffer is we're surprised that we're suffering at all. Like, suffering is like a shock to us. Suffering is like, oh my gosh, this shouldn't be happening to me. No, 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 beloved. No, you're wrong. You're really wrong. Like, if you've had a life, let me, well, we'll get into that. Listen to me. Anything can happen. Watch this. And we know that in all things, all things, like when you get to 1 Corinthians 13, I'll just read it for you. 
Um, in 1 Corinthians 13, which is where we started off with, and l- listen to this. Love never fails, but that where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. <clears throat> I'm sorry. I'm in the wrong spot. Let's see. Uh, oh, there it is. Um, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, right? And so we read that and we go, wait, you mean it's possible that my body could be surrendered to the flames? <laughs> it's like, that's a thing. <laughs> and we read it. It's like really lovely and really elevated, but what? I don't know. Maybe fire is in your future. And we're always shocked when it is. Like, like, even if the worst thing happens, even if I surrender my body to the flames, even if I die in service to God, yeah, now God, we know that that's like hyperbole, right? We know that that's like poetic license. We don't actually think anything bad's going to happen to us. No, 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 beloved, listen to me. And we know that in all things, anything can happen. Like, you could, do, check this out. You could be the perfect spouse. And your spouse could cheat. Anything could happen. You could be the perfect parent. And your kid smokes crack. Anything could happen. You could uh, hit the gym and have your kale and go vegan and do everything right. And the doctor sit, sit in the doctor's office and he can go cancer. I, I run five miles to my job. I run five miles back. I went to the doctor. I watch what I eat. I went to the doctor and he goes, you know, you have high cholesterol. I was like, oh, forget it all. Are you kidding me? Like, I have friends, and, I, and I'm not kidding. I have, I have friends who do less than run 10 miles a day. <laughs> I don't know if you have friends like this, right? Like, who are very happy with chocolate and bagels and cream cheese. Like, oh, that's not enough cream cheese. Put a little more cream cheese. Like, I have friends like that. And they go to the doctors, and the doctors go, oh my gosh, you're like the picture of health. Maybe you want to lose a few pounds, but you're the picture of health. And I want to kick them both in the face. I'm like, are you kidding me? I do all of this? Anything can happen to you. Anything can happen to you. Like, we're not exempt from anything. Think about this. Think about this. When Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden fruit, everything broke. Everything is broken here on earth. Why should you have an easy go of it? That doesn't make sense. This whole world is broken. With all the suffering that's in this world, listen, check this out. Anything that happens to us or anything that happens in this world can happen to us. Anything can happen to you. Secondly, but in, and let me just say this, let me connect it to what we're saying here. Anything that can happen to you, we can still trust in God, our King, because we're praying to our Abba, Father. Secondly, anything can work for the good. Anything can. Uh, 
I'm really surprised, honestly. And in my life, I'm kind of surprised when things go well. I don't know if you're like me. I, I get shocked when things go well. In fact, it's, and this is like I'm too far on the other side. Um, when anything good happens, I'm like, when is, like, when's the other, next shoe, gonna, you know, the other shoe going to drop? You know, that kind of thing. And it's like things are going too well. I'm waiting for something. Like a, but it's, anything can work for the good. In this broken world, God can use anything for the good. We just don't know it. And we have this very, very small perspective. You know, it's like, it's like this. Um, I remember uh, this is like a preacher's story. I don't, it's totally apocryphal. It probably didn't happen. I'm just telling you it so, to make a point. Um, so, uh, you know, old man and like, call it, China, um, has a farm. He's working the farm with his son. They're working hard to get the, uh, the farm uh, so that it could produce the kind of stuff that happens. Uh, you know, the, the fruit that they could sell and they could eat and they could live. And so one day, a horse shows up to their property and, like, connects with his son. And now they have this, like, horse that they could use to plow the ground, to, like, do all sorts of things that they were doing with such problems. Now they can do it easier because now they have this thoroughbred, right? They have this horse. And so it's like the, the, the father is, like, unbelievably happy, and everybody in the town is rejoicing with them. And he goes to uh, the wise man in the town, and he says, he says, could you believe the good fortune? And the guy goes, maybe good, maybe bad. And so time passes, and the son is using the horse to sort of plow the ground, and the, uh, the, the horse uh, hoof hits a rock, and it falls over, falling on the son's uh, leg. He breaks his leg, like really bad, can barely walk. And everybody's sorrowful, and everybody's crying. And he, and he goes to the wise man, can you believe this? This is terrible. How am I going to be able to do this on my own? I needed my son to be able to do this. He goes, the wise man goes, maybe good, maybe bad. At that time, uh, an edict goes out and uh, one of the officers of the emperor comes and says, every man that's of fighting age and is able we need to fight the Huns that are going to attack and all that stuff. And the son can't go because his leg is so busted. And everybody who goes is massacred. And this, the man goes to the wise man. He goes, could you believe our good fortune? He spared, our son is spared. And the old man says, I wonder if you can guess. Maybe good, maybe bad. None of us know. We don't have the foresight to know what's good in our lives. Um, uh, my wife is here, who is the love of my life. But I remember when I was 16, and this girl broke up with me. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, and you thought your whole life is over, right? And I remember clutching my heart and being really dramatic. And it's like, oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's the best. That chick was crazy. 
like the best thing. And I know she's crazy because I met her uh, like, uh, I don't know, 15 years later. And I saw, I was like, oh, you, very good, <laughs> the Lord. Uh, it, was a, it was, I dodged a bullet. And so um, the, the, the point is we don't know anything, anything, anything can work for good in your life. If you trust in God, you know that God is working all things for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. You know that, do you know that difficult marriages can work for your good? Did you know that? You know that God could be using your spouse to deal with your raging uh, uh, self-centeredness, your pride? Did you know that? No? Do you know that your singleness, that God could be using your singleness to draw you closer to himself, that it could be the very best thing that could happen in your life? Oh my, anything can work for your good. And then, finally, at this verse, we see, God does not make bad things good, but brings good out of the bad. God does not make bad things good, but brings good things out of the bad. (coughs) Excuse me. This is super key. So you see what it says here in this text? God works for the good. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God works for the good. So, remember this morning, I shared with you how a a grown man came into the door, locked the door, and terrible things happened to me? That will never be good. In heaven, I will have lived 10 trillion years, and 10 trillion years from now, that will be evil and awful. That will always be a wicked, terrible moment. But it doesn't mean that God can't use that It's not making it good. Do you see the difference? God doesn't make that moment good, but he works it for the good of those who love him. Here's how I, in my very limited, and by the way, let me just say, this is just one of those areas where I get to see God working it for the good. For most of the suffering in my life, I don't see it. For most of the, in fact, for most of the suffering in my life, I will never see it. Not on this side of eternity. God's, God is too wise. He's va- it's too vast. That's why we go back to trust in God, our King. We trust Him. So, in that circumstance, with the horrible thing that happened to me when I was young, I get, I get men, and, and when I share this, it's, it, I get men, because men don't feel like they can share that sort of thing, because it's like, it's not something, you know, you can't share that stuff. I get men who come up to me and we weep together. I get women who come up to my office and we weep together as people who have suffered the same type of suffering. And we weep and we run to Jesus. It's given me an opportunity to be a witness to God's work in their life because they never shared this with anyone else. See, God didn't make that moment good, but God will use that moment as awful as it was, as wicked as it was, as satanic as it was. God wastes nothing. He will even use our suffering 
for his good, and he'll do the same for yours. In your single suffering, in your married suffering, in your loneliness suffering, in your mental, in your struggle with mental health suffering, in your physical suffering, in your suffering with your parents, in your suffering with the calling that you have on your life, with the purpose of the future, with meandering and not knowing what God is doing in your life, God will use it all. God does not make bad things good, but brings good out of the bad. Okay, so we first we pray to, then we trust in, and next we ponder the glory that will be revealed. This is so big. Guys, this is where we use our imagination for the glory of God. Where we start reading the text with vibrant um, interact vibrantly interacting with the scriptures with our imaginations ponder the glory that will be revealed i consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us so i got this this next uh sentence that i'm breaking up into three parts i got it from tim keller because you guys are called King's Cross. And if I didn't quote Keller, it would be like wrong, right? And so, right, like, because like you were named after the book, right? Like, I mean, that's cool. So here's my attempt at quoting Tim Keller. Um, and, and you can write this down. Bad things will turn out, what that means, ponder the glory of God, is that bad things will turn out for good. The good things you've been given can never be taken away. And the best things are yet to come. Isn't that a great quote? Bad things will turn out for good. The good things you've been given can never be taken. The best things are yet to come. Listen, listen. When you're in suffering, bad things will turn out for good. That the pain that I'm going through right now, the heartache, the betrayal, the 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 loneliness, the physical pain. This is going to turn. I don't see it. I don't know how. I don't have the plan. I can't figure it out. It's going to turn out for my good. And the good things that you've been given, salvation, a place to look forward to, uh, uh, salvation, God's work sanctifying your soul, his promise to never leave you nor forsake you. His Spirit's indwelling power. The Scriptures. The truth of Him coming again. Did you know? Did you know? You're going to get a new body in the new heavens and the new earth. That even if your body starts breaking down, you're going to get a new body. Why? Because the good things that you've been given will never be able to be taken from you. And the best things the best things are yet to be. See? See? So when suffering happens, and like, I got a pretty good imagination about what suffering can come into my life. I told you things are going, when things are going well, I can, my son, who's uh, 29 years old, um, uh, is serving in a church, it's a great church, uh, in uh, Portland. And my daughter was just talking to me today. Uh, and so, like, I, I worry and think about, you know, all the things that can happen to him. 
My daughter, she's a lieutenant in the army. And every, um, I don't know, uh, she tells me what the names are. Every, like, she's a lieutenant in the army and she has, like, these 50 people under her, right? And that's, that has a name to it. It's not, it's not like a platoon, but it's like a, a group of people. Maybe it is a platoon. I'm sorry? Squad. Yeah, we'll go with squad. Um, uh, so her squad is up next to go to Poland um, in case, like, uh, war breaks out. And in the thing, and I, t- I told her not to talk to me like this, um, she goes, but I don't care. Like, if I go over there, she says something like this uh, today. She left me a long message. Uh, she goes, I don't care. If I go over there, I die, I die. It's no big deal. And I go, okay. <laughs> you cannot talk to me, even if you think like that. You can't talk to me like this. Now, what she was doing, it was a 45, uh, we have this thing called, it's an app called Marco Polo. So she leaves like a video message. So they're really long video messages. And I love really long video messages only from my daughter. Everybody else, I put like three times speed. (laughs) I'm like, okay, we got to get through this one. But my daughter, I will slow it down and just listen to every word. She's my treasure, right? She's like, uh, she's not my treasure, but she's she's a gift, a treasure that God has given uh, to me. And when she said that, it made me want to throw the phone across the, the room because I just, I, I don't even want to think about that. But check this out. I can think of some very great sufferings that can happen in my life. I got five kids. Most of the sufferings that I think about are connected to them. And the best, I can trust God that no matter what happens on this earth, the best is yet to come. My best days aren't behind me. For every Christian, my best days are ahead of me. We pray to our heavenly Abba. This is how we're going to get through. This is how when we suffer, we're going to run to the Savior. We pray to our heavenly Abba. We trust in God, our King. And we need to trust him. We need to know that he's wiser and better. And then we ponder the glory. We think about it. Take time to think about all of your treasure in Christ. Take time to think about that. Meditate on that. And then, fourthly, we ponder the sacrifice of Jesus, which makes all this possible. So think about this. The greatest moment of suffering in the history of the universe is the moment of the cross. It is where the perfect, sinless Lamb of God takes upon not just my sin. If he just did my sin, that would still deserve a, uh, a capital punishment. But he took on your sin, and your sin, and your sin, and your sin, and all of our sins. And so, when we suffer, we don't serve a God who doesn't take in this broken world, his own medicine. We don't worship a God who says, well, you suffer, and it's like it's sort of a stoic response. Do the best you can, and you'll get through. No, this is a God who comes into his own broken creation and experiences pain and suffering like you and I cannot imagine. We ponder the sacrifice of Jesus, which makes all this possible. That when we suffer, our God, our, our heavenly priest is acquainted with our sorrow, knows our suffering, and 
comes alongside us in that suffering. We ponder the sacrifice of Jesus, which makes all this possible. And then, can I give you just like a quick caveat? I know I told you to pray to, trust in, ponder the glory, and ponder the sacrifice. But would you also, and you can, this is not in your notes, but just put this down. Would you rely on your church? When you suffer, would you rely on your church? Would you not be a lone ranger sufferer? What a tragedy. You know the gifts that you rob the body of Christ when you keep your suffering to yourself? And I'm not, I'm not just taking that out of nowhere. Paul, all, all throughout this text, Paul is talking to we, I mean to you all and us and uh, we, and he's talking to the church. He's not talking in us, you know, we live in America and we think that the scriptures are, when he says you, you know that most of the times when the Bible says you, it, it literally means y'all. Like, it means you all. It it doesn't mean you, like, individually. It means you, like, corporately. Would you just rely on the church? Now, here's how you do that. Listen to me. You got to share. You got to start opening up, not just about the superficial things in your heart, not about the superficial things in your life. You got to be willing to share about the things that you're going through that you're afraid someone might gossip about, that you feel embarrassed about. Because here's the thing. Can we talk? Can we talk? I go to a lot of churches. Your church is beautiful. I love you guys. You guys are beautiful. I love how you guys are interacting with each other and the kids. And it's just like, it's dope. You guys are awesome. But check it out. It is possible. It is possible to be in prison in the house that God has given to free you. That God has given you a community of people and you're going to live lonely in a community of people. Think about how insane that is. Like, God goes, here, I got this gift for you. You don't know. Three rows up and two seats across. Mary, she's going through the same marital trouble that you are, but none of you are saying anything about it because if you do, people will just look at you funny or they'll say things about you because everybody knows that everybody in church is perfect. How absurd. I remember when my mother was alive, she would go to church. She would try to look for Jesus and her mind would just rebel against her. But she would try. And the reason I memorized Psalm 91 was because my mom, my mom memorized it when she was like, they had this like cadet thing in Puerto Rico. Like, I don't know if you do guys cadet, but you know about them, right? Where it's like this cadet thing and you go and you memorize scripture. She memorized Psalm 91 and I memorized Psalm 91 because of her. And she never lost that. And so she would go to church. But my mom was like, my mom was like a uh, chain smoker all her life, among other things. And uh, I remember, because she would go to this Pentecostal church. <laughs> it's goofy. She would go to this Pentecostal church. Grace, you'll appreciate this. She would go to this Pentecostal church, and the church service, you get upset at me for talking too long. The church service would be five hours long. <laughs> five hours long. I kid you not. She would come back seven hours later. But the church service makes you all grateful about the suffering you're doing listening to me for this long, right? It's like, all right, this is not going to be five hours long, however long it's going to be. But it was five hours, right? My, My mother, I could see on her face, like I would look out the window and she was coming in. I could see on her face that she had to have a cigarette. 
Like, you know, she had to have a cigarette. You know that face? Just like, all right, God bless you. Blessings. You know, God bless you. And then she would leave off the little van that they had, you know, that they would, you know, bring you back in. And she would go up. And I would look at everybody's, uh, everybody else's face in that van. And I swear to you, all of them had the same face on. <laughs> Every one of them wanted an, a cigarette. They would just wanted to get home. And it was just, it was just frowned upon in that, uh, that little Pentecostal church. It was frowned upon. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it have been wonderful if anybody... If anybody in that group would have just said, yo, I'm struggling. <laughs> Can we talk about this? <laughs> I know this is not cool, but I'm about to kill one of y'all if I don't have a smoke. <laughs> it's like, wouldn't that have been a better picture of the church? Listen to me. Some of y'all are sitting in here and you got your pack in your pocket. Not literally, but figuratively. You're struggling. You're suffering. You're experiencing pain. And you go, they don't want to hear that. If you're young, you go, oh, tell them how well you're doing in school. If you're married, tell them all about all the good things that the kids are doing. If you have kids, you talk about the kids. And if you don't have kids, then you just say, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to go on vacation and such and such and blah, blah, blah. But wouldn't it be a, a better picture if in this church... Like somebody just said, hey, it feels like my marriage is um, running on autopilot and it's as cold as ice. And then there would be a few minutes of silence and then someone would jump up and go, you too? And then you go, I'm not alone. I'm not alone in our suffering. You've been given the church. You're not alone. You're not alone in your mental struggles. You're not alone in your physical pain. You're not alone in your marital struggles. You're not alone with the suffering that goes through in raising up children. You're not alone. Would you be willing in your suffering to recruit? And check this out. Here's what's going to happen. In all churches, it happens this way. And Satan's such a, what, what can you say? He's such a devil. Um, you'll go up to the first person because you're desperate and you're like, you hear a sermon like this and when you're suffering and, you know, you're, okay, great, I'm going to uh, pray to our Heavenly Father. Trust in God our King. Ponder the glory revealed and ponder the sacrifice of Jesus and I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to rely on the church. And then the first couple you go to and they make you feel, because they weren't at the retreat, let's say, and they, and, they, and, they, and they make you feel like garbage. Like they, you go, what? Get it together. What are you doing? Like they, they respond to you in the way you feared most. And then you know what you do? You learn the wrong lesson. I'm afraid that most of our suffering comes from, now I'm just riffing. I got your attention. I'm going to tell you this because I don't know how much time we got together. Okay, but here's the deal. I'm afraid that most of us suffer more in the church because we learn the wrong lesson. You know what I mean? Learn the wrong lesson. So you befriended somebody in the church, and then they broke your heart, they betrayed your trust, and what do you do? You leave. Because you know what the problem is. No one in the church could be trusted. No, 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 no. We proved only that person can't be trusted. And here's good news. What that person proved, that you can't be trusted neither. None of us can. None of us are, are like exemplars. So what will happen is, is you're going to take this, you're going to go, yes, that's right. 
and we have a small group at home. I don't know if I could share it here. And I encourage you, share it here. Share it here, please. Be broken here. And you go and you do it and it's exactly what you feared and you shut down and you say, I'm never going to share this again. And Satan wins. And he, glo- and he oh, rejoices in the fact that you and the person sitting four feet away from you are going it alone on the very same issue. I mean, in a room like this, it wouldn't be shocking to think that there are some of you who maybe your spouse is thinking that perhaps you haven't gotten the memo yet, but your spouse is kind of getting the memo that you might have a problem with alcohol. That would not be shocking to me in the least. But nobody knows. You suffer in silence. It's a secret. How you doing? Doing well. Thanks for asking. What about you? Just fine. Well, how's everything at work? Going to get a promotion. Looks good. What about you? Well, I'm not going to get a promotion, but I'm leaving to my next job. And I think that's going to be promising. Oh my gosh, you're doing so well. You too. You're doing so well. Have a nice day. You too. And that's the, that's the depth of our intimacy. Beloved. Like, it's goofy, right? I'm being goofy, but I'm telling you, it's tragic when it's lived out for 13 years, feeling lonely in a community as beautiful as yours. So what I promise you what will happen is that people will disappoint you, learn the right lesson, that God can still be trusted, and people are flawed, and you can still rely on the church. So... When we suffer, we run to the Savior. How do we do that? We pray to our Heavenly Father. We trust in God, our King. We ponder the glory that will be revealed. And then we ponder the sacrifice of Jesus, which makes all this possible. And we do all that within the context of relying on each other as the gift that God has given us in this church. You're not alone in your suffering. Jesus is with you. And he not only suffered for you, he will suffer with you. And he gives you his body so that you don't have to be alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this this moment. And I don't know where this lands. And I just hope that no spouse says to their spouse, you better not talk about this issue or subject. Lord, would you come against spouses like that? Would you love them into your presence or rebuke them? And Lord, with the, those here who are struggling and suffering and they're doing it alone, Would you remind them that you, more than anyone else, can say, I know exactly what you're feeling, having sent your son to experience the brokenness, the sin, the folly, the suffering in this world for our sake. So, Lord, as we break into our small groups, would you help us to even ask, answer questions that we're not asking on the sheet, but be willing, be willing to become vulnerable 
be willing to be charged with too much information and be willing to trust you in it all in our endeavor to suffer well with Christ in his body. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So guys, if you look at your bulletins, there are some fantastic uh, questions that you can be discussing.